You're listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series, where we look at disruption through the lens of opportunity. If you've ever wondered what a CDO is, like I have, it's a chief digital officer. And today I'm introducing John Campbell from R&B to talk to us about the future, what R&B is doing about it, and whether or not we need to fear it or see it through a lens of opportunity. Do you think all the fear is justified? I mean, I listen to the casual conversations of people feeling their jobs about to be displaced, or do we have an opportunity lens that necessitates wearing in this space? I, I do think it's justified. <clears throat> so the, there are a couple of things that, you know, I would say worry me too. Um, the, the, the jobs is one thing, and it's more about a principle. You know, this is not a digital thing. This is just a human thing where people think that an organization is responsible for their careers and their jobs. And people don't take responsibility for their own careers and jobs and future. And when these things change, when the future comes to us now, then people are, you know, throw up their hands and they, and they don't know what to do. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a reality. There are many, many jobs that can be done better by a computer. And organizations are going to do that because that's the only way they can remain competitive. Whoever moves first will start setting the scene. So now there's a whole bunch of places where you need to be competitive. It's not like the introduction of the car relative to the horse. There, there are a lot of these forces coming our way. Like, what, do you, what do you think some of them are? And um, once we've spoken about that, maybe we'll dip a little bit into how to respond to some of them appropriately. But what are these world forces that are causing these business model shifts and this fear that we see in humans? Yeah. Look, we've always had this incessant demand and drive to improve things, to make things more efficient, etc. Now it's catching up with us. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I think you can group them all under this theme of what we call fourth industrial revolution. That's kind of grouped them. Some of those are not real, but others are, are actually, I would like to, to really talk about the ones that, that I think are more real and necessary, and that's the environmental ones, specifically around environmental sustainability mm -hmm. and using some of this advancement that we've, that we've created to kind of drive that agenda rather than actually doing more destruction by just trying to be better at what we do. But if you look at fourth industrial revolution, those are, those are the well-known things. And out of those, I would say the, the one that affects us in financial services the most would be blockchain. And blockchain is not about Bitcoin and it's not about just technology. It's about a fundamental shift in, well, it's actually driven by a lack of trust um, and it is a technological solution to the fact that as humans we actually don't trust each other or can't trust each other in many cases. Is there a, a theme here of capitalism that maybe has run full circle and we're now in the space of needing to look for a different system? You speak about the impact of environment protecting the one place that we know is habitable to our generation, our species. And the financial system meets the purpose-driven system. What are your views on that? Yeah, so I have very strong views on that. So I do believe that we've outlived using money or financial means as a way of measuring success and achievement. It's gotten out of hand because you can have highly irresponsible individuals with lots of resources be, be quite destructive. So what we haven't had is a proper measure for good. And ironically... Many people who are constantly being told by media that they are losers because they don't have a whole lot of things are in fact not the losers because they are doing good to everyone else by leaving a very small footprint on the planet. 
and ones with lots of means who are irresponsible are, you know, are quite effective in the destruction of that. So, you know, what is then that measure of good? And, and money is often the opposite of that. But okay, now, just, let me just d- stop you right there, because <clears throat> being really good doesn't feed my kids or pay the mortgage. So I've got, I've got some forces here, and I feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. That's, that's probably a statement that works for 99% of people. Look, I mean, that takes it to the extreme. Um, but you can have lots of resources and act in a way that leaves no future for your kids or grandchildren either because they will have nothing to drink and they won't have air to breathe. Right, so stop killing the planet and finding purposeful purpose almost. So right now, the big achievement for many people is making more and more money, building up more and more resources. The measure should be, what are you doing to not destroy, to, to, to care for your family, to do the things you need to do, but in a highly responsible way? Because the truth is most of us have far more than what we need. Okay, now you're fighting... 400 years of education regime, the same thing being perpetuated in curriculums, people being taught about careers, save enough money to retire by the age of 65. And what you're advocating is a, it's not a nuance to that, it's a drastic change. How are we going to go about this? Well, I think we've had... The problem with us is we don't live long enough to really witness drastic change in our, in our lifetime. So it's, it's, it's odd to us. But we've had drastic changes throughout history anyway, and it is time for a drastic change because we are facing drastic consequences if we don't. And the truth is our current structure doesn't necessarily work. I want to delve into structure a little bit here, seeing as you brought that up. This fourth industrial revolution is necessitating, I suppose, a market reaction that's filled with words like innovation, disruption, AI. What are you doing about this? A lot of people are talking. What are, what are you actually doing? Because you seem quite convinced about your, your paradigm here, which I love. But what, what are you actually doing? What's, what's beyond the talk for John? Yeah, so the, the one thing is one has to learn to navigate through the minefield of buzzwords. And you'll always have the slick salesman jump onto buzzwords. And uh, I particularly dislike many of those. You know, innovation is so misused. It's like the way CRM was misused as a term in the 90s. Uh, blockchain is getting there. You know, everybody jumps up and trying to sell something flashy under that brand. That's fine. The, the reality is we need to see through that. So what, so what am I doing? What are we doing? As, so, so from an RMB perspective, we, we are not in a bubble. Our customers are the reason we exist, and they face exactly these same considerations and concerns and so forth. So the first thing we're actually doing is making it real by educating both ourselves internally and our customers in how to navigate this and to know which of this is real and which you don't have to worry about and what is flashy sales talk and what is just buzzwords. That's the first, that's the first thing. To get into kind of the substance of what yeah. this means. To understand what it the entails. Impact, the so what. Like with all of these things, it's so what. Um, and we can use many examples of those and maybe we'll go into one of those later. The, 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 the repercussions of an event and when does it touch you? Because typically we don't care if it doesn't touch us. The one thing that I know that does touch us all and that we really should speak about a lot more is sustainability, but let's not go into that for now. So it's about the what if and the so what of things. And then the second thing is to take it from the academic realm into realities. Our strategy is very much one of creating ventures, which would be a product or a business that capitalizes on 
the positive aspects of some new disruptive change or innovation or uh, more like an in, um, uh, invention. And typically it is for profit or it is for the good of the organization or for efficiency. Um, and what I personally would like to see is that we do more of those with that balance of um, environmental good also. Okay, so I'm hearing substance, get beyond the buzzwords and the veneer. I'm hearing align business cases, not just use cases. There's a lot of things that we can do with blockchain, but is it profitable and therefore sustainable? And link that up to a purpose of sorts. And RMB Verge is going to help RMB internal and RMB clients to get there. Would that be a fair, a fair summary of what you're saying? That's 100%. So I think that is what's unique. I haven't seen this happen a lot. Where for, a, for a financial services organization, we're, we're not saying let's just look inwardly and see how all of these things affect us and what we should do about it. But we're taking our customers along on the journey. And we're really building up the capability and the expertise that we can be meaningful help to our customers and do this journey together. So, for instance, we look at a customer and, and we typically look at the numbers and we don't always fundamentally understand where they operate and how these, inf these factors, these, say, fourth IR, in, four IR in, um, factors influence our customer. We now need to. We need to make it real to ourselves and to them and to say, look, the trajectory you're on looks good on Excel, mm. but in reality it's not going to be there. Um, and maybe I'll expand on one of those if, if, if we can. So, so think of, of energy. Um, and I think in South Africa we, we're quite conscious of energy. Now, energy, especially the structure as it is right now, is highly inefficient. And that's for political and other reasons. But electric vehicles, one example. It's an essential thing for the environment. But at the same time, it has such a disruptive influence on so many existing structures, so manufacturing. So we typically have this example in South Africa where we say, well, these things won't affect us for a long time. That's going to happen elsewhere in the world. It will affect us much sooner than we think because as South Africans, we, we have a choice of vehicles and we have vehicles that we shouldn't have for the size of our country. But because it's manufactured here, we do get some of the benefits. Now, electric vehicles like iPhones are much easier to manufacture in a centralized manner than uh, in a decentralized manner. And that may very well impact our manufacturing sector. So we kind of look at our customers that are impacted by that and understand what does that mean for them. It may not. Or it will if you don't proactively understand the meaning. But let's just take it at a consumer level. So there's a tipping point with everything, right? So once you reach a 10, 15, 20, whatever that number is, percent, uh, adoption of electric vehicles, you start getting into that tipping point where the old system is is in a negative vortex. Now, what's the what's the knock-on effect of that? Service stations, as we know it, will change. Look, what's happened is the original corner cafe disappeared and became the quick shops. That will then disappear. The supermarket, where the, where you typically do spend more than 45 minutes at a time, will become the haven for you to recharge your vehicle. But just think of all the, imp the, the impact, the way we have to plan our lives, et cetera, for that. And now we need to understand which of our customers, as corporate bank customers or as investment bank customers, are affected by that change in the value chain and when and what do they need to do and what can we help them with and what does it mean to us. So that's just like one little sliver of an example of one industry that the change in there will have dramatic impact. So I get quite excited when you talk about the knock-on uh, effects of this. 
it's my view that there are a, a lot of customers who might perceive themselves as isolated or indemnified from these changes because that value chain is just simply too far. I get the quick shop and the petrol station and the petrol jockey union being affected by electric vehicles. But let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. What, what else do you see as an example of consequential disruption that occurs when an electric vehicle is tipping point introduced? So there's disruption, negative, and then there's obviously opportunity. And so I see tremendous opportunity, especially in a sunny country like ours, in alternative energy, solar, etc. And and that's a whole new industry. Mm. Um, and the, the R and D in that we're pretty good at R and D for these things. And there's this perpetual drive to improve that. That's that's a, that's there's a tremendous ramp required in terms of battery life, etc. But the negatives of, of those is we remain highly uh, dependent on fossil energy right now, and that is supported by a whole mining industry, and that's people again. So those people get affected. If nobody wants coal anymore, there are a lot of people affected. And the gap in knowledge and training required to mine coal versus to uh, versus um, delivering technological advances in battery storage is quite different. And so, so, so that, is a, that is a challenge. That, that's on the so that's if you go further down the, the line, but it's it's everything from you know the delivery mechanisms today. So you've got companies that deliver fuel and fuel depots and trucks, and they buying trucks from somebody. Those things all change, and you know the example of cars in vehicles in uh, New York. It was a 13-year period where where it changed dramatically from no cars to cars, mm. and the horse was substituted. Yeah. Something that we've grown accustomed to. We gave the horses names. We carried around sugar lumps to treat them with. And we had as a society to move away from that. That's quite a big psychological change, never mind the economic and manufacturing processes that sit behind that. Exactly. And only 13 years. That's quite a scary thought. Yeah. Well, if you think, what's the life expectancy of a human today? Tertiary-educated people in South Africa is about 84, 85. Um, Healthcare is starting to change. We're seeing this uh, longevity start to increase dramatically. So perhaps 13 years becomes even less of a weight uh, in terms of the average human out there. Correct. Okay, so now I am a CEO and I'm a client of RMB. And I listen to this and I say, okay, hell of a lot of change coming. It seems to me as if there's something beyond strategy. Are you advocating that I stop my car manufacturing and... uh, and pursue a different vertical? Is that what we're saying here? What is the consequence of my set of reactions, given that I've got a fiduciary duty to safeguard the sustainability of my company? RMB, you're opening this can of worms. What the hell must I do now? Yeah. Look, I think the first step is consciousness and, and, and not ignoring it, because it is actually not acceptable when you see certain companies and industries fail and the management team throw up their hands and, oh, we didn't expect this, or they'll always have an excuse. Uh, I think it is everybody's duty if you're in a management position in an organization, in fact, in any position, to understand these things. You need to educate yourself and understand. Then it becomes part of your of your cadence. And and certainly that's what we do, is we, we kind of putting a lot of emphasis on informing and educating not just about the actual technology, because a lot of people don't understand it. Mm. You know, when you talk about blockchain, people are confused. and they, John, it's also not in my KPI, right? I have an 8 to 5, I need to hit certain targets, so it's not in my job description to go understand those weird and wonderful Silicon Valley themes. Yeah, so now you're touching on, on actually a fundamental challenge in organizational structure, and that is the business of today and the focus and the KPIs and the bonuses and the retirements, etc., that are linked to that versus having to start using some of your time in, in, in looking at the future and understanding that you'll be ready for that future. And the reason for us 
why it is actually more urgent than it was, say, 100 years ago, is because the rate of escalation is fast, number one. And number two, and this is with digital, and for me this is the only real time to use the term digital because everything around us is digital. But what digital has shown us is it's a winner-takes-all game. And that is probably one of the other big scary things. Um, you just think around us. Who's the second biggest search engine? I would say Yahoo, but I'm probably wrong. Yeah, but we don't really yeah, think YouTube. about that. We use Google, Amazon, those are the winners, and then there's not really anything else after that. And that's what digital does because it has no boundaries and no borders. Whereas a lot of our thinking, I've noticed, is still very jurisdictional. We kind of think that we, we are safe. These things cross jurisdictions. So. Well, that's a problem, right? If I'm the CEO of in a particular jurisdiction where a particular set of regulatory um, ordinances are at the order of the day, and now you're saying to me, not only must I think about everything outside of my current core business, keep an eye on the future, I also have to watch the whole bloody world because borders are starting to be less and less. Exactly. And that is what you have to do. And that's what people don't do. And so that's why actually in RMB Verge, one of our, one of our primary drivers has been, let's help our, our, our customers to do that. But we've seen this. You know, um, anybody who's... I think sort of more or less over the age of 40. The millennials kind of think that that on the eighth creative day the internet was created. But there was no internet, you know, 20-odd years ago. And if you look at the impact that the internet has had on media and telecommunications over the last 20 years, it has fundamentally changed it. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we no longer consume media. We just do it completely differently, different forms of media, etc. And, and And one of the things that's still is interesting for me is if 10 years ago not not 20 10 years ago you wanted to be famous you needed an uncle with a tv or a radio station or a connection or you you know or you need a lot of money to get the license and build it yourself today a six-year-old with an iphone and youtube can do that and that means the barriers to entry have completely been dropped now now th now that was a global thing that there wasn't there's not a regional internet uh, in, that can be controlled and understood in every country. It is global, and that's why the escalation is so fast. And from a financial services perspective, and it not, doesn't just affect us as banks, it affects individuals and businesses equally, is this concept of blockchain, of, of a global ledger that's uh, immutable and uh, inherent trust built into it, that is going to do to money and financial services what the Internet version one of the internet did to media and communications I mean, when we started with the internet back in the day we didn't email was the killer app nobody thought that you'd be doing all conversations there was no skype and telegram and whatsapp, WhatsApp and all of that we didn't even think about that we but it, it became it came very quick and so we we don't even know what this what the next realm of, of blockchain is going to bring right so that's blockchain it sounds like it's a, a tsunami of change and therefore also opportunity that's coming our way. What are some of these other forces that R&B Verge are going to be helping this awareness with? Well, you know, so right now, if you ask me personally, the only two things I really worry about is is environmental sustainability um, and and blockchain. You know, they don't they they actually do link in in many cases, but as as major themes, those are big things like AI, machine learning, deep learning, quantum computing. Those are big, but they are all going to drive towards those same, or they can drive towards those same elements. Um, the advances in, in medical, etc. But what I'd like to see 
certainly is that we use and we harness these technologies and make it more real and become people again. Uh, so that's why I don't like the onslaught of machine comment. You know, um, it, it, it's not that we're going to, it's not a matrix. It happens to be one of my favorite movies of all time because it illustrates society in many ways for me. But it, we, we can't allow ourselves to get into a matrix situation. So it's the harnessing of those technologies that's going to be important. And, and it's one of those things, if we know what it means and if we know what it can be used for, we don't become passive takers. We can actively do something about things. So, for instance, by not educating ourselves and understanding what these things are, we effectively do become passive victims or passive takers of what other people decide. Um, and, and that's part of, part of our journey is to say, look, you can use this. And, I, and I'll give you one example. I mean, one of the things we are, for instance, uh, exploring now is, is crowdfunding healthcare. Because many people do not have access to healthcare. They don't need access all the time. So our current insurance models don't necessarily work. But as a race or as a people, it's important for us as the human race to, to make sure that everybody around us is healthy because it impacts us when they're not. And, and we need to leverage some of this fancy technology that we've now developed over the last few years to kind of do that kind of good. And so, you know, environmental, but let's start just with basic stuff like, like health care and feeding people, etc. So I hear purpose coming through often in everything that you're saying, even in this particular healthcare type of example. R&B Verge, what's the purpose there? So purpose actually is, in my mind, the most important thing. And I think for too many people and for too long, making money has been a purpose. Making money is not a purpose. It should be, you know, it is, it is potentially a, an off-spin-off. Spin for Verge... Our strategy is very simple. As we say, what will a successful investment bank look like in five years' time? And what do we need to build, not think about or ideate or write? Lots of PowerPoint slides. PowerPoint. What do, we need to do, what do we need to build, put people in place, train systems, whatever, to be there to harness whatever that world's going to look like in five years' time so that as an organization we continue to exist? So that's a nice, simple, short-term purpose. I think... For me, a greater purpose that every organization should really strive to. And, 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 and it makes it's an easy purpose because there is a profitability angle to it as well. There is a people angle to it. And that is to say, how do we ensure that we leave something for our grandchildren? Right. I really look forward to uh, engaging with you further and see how the seeding of the future evolves. One of the things that I'll be doing is having conversations with entrepreneurs that play in this space. And something to look forward to is how that conversation sounds and what their views are of these future industries, perhaps co-building it with RMB as we go along. We welcome that. Wonderful. Thank you, John. Thank you. You've been listening to RMB's On The Verge podcast series. Subscribe for more solutionist thinking.